fancier they are, the longer they take to start up. Anyway, so we're at, we're at the end. You know, we've been following the same theme of the second coming. It's all of 24, and guess what? It goes right into 25 and continues. Now, we have done some of 25. So it gets interesting each week to look at these passages and say, so what new thing can we come up with? Because the theme is this second coming of Jesus. But what's interesting about us as humans, we like to know what how the beginning happened, and we like to know how the end happened. Now, the beginning is easy. That's Genesis 1, right? God said, boom, and there it was. But what's the end going to look like? And if you go through history, you find that civilizations and people throughout time have asked that question. So how does it all end? I liked watching the show The Universe, and they said when it happens, all the stars are going to go dark, and it's just going to implode on itself. That's pretty cool. Of course, we'll, we won't have this planet by the time that happens in some trillion or so years. I don't know if we're going to be around to find out what happens, but we always like to know. The first part of this section talked about Jesus coming as a thief in the night which is very intriguing because as we move toward 25, that theme's gonna disappear. So we start with this thief in the night. That's out of Thessalonians 5, and Paul's the one who first said, Jesus is coming back like a thief in the night. You won't know what happened, it's just there, and maybe he'll walk in right now and just sit down and say hi. But obviously it hasn't happened. And what's interesting about it as we progress, it goes from the thief in the night to the explosions and the apocalypse and the four horsemen and all that stuff of Revelation. So which one is it? Who knows? What's interesting in, these, in this passage, remember the second part talked about the master and the slaves and the servant killing the other servant and the master coming back. Christian academics believe that this little blip of Matthew was directed at the early church. Really didn't have anything to do with Jesus' return, but it had to do with the early church because believe it or not, in 60 CE or so when Matthew's being written, church leaders were, oh, what's the right word? Corrupt. That doesn't surprise either of you, does it? And probably none of the people watching this are not watching it live right now. Church leaders, unfortunately, throughout history have been corrupt. Let's, let's be honest. Anytime you put an organization together, you're going to have leaders come out. You're going to have hierarchy. You're eventually going to have corruption because some of the leaders are going to tell the rest of us what to do. And in fact, if you go into the book of Acts, you actually do see that. And I, and I really, I didn't mention it 845, but I can tell you guys this. You know, if you go back and look at the story, and we were talking about the story of the husband-wife who sold some property, and they came before the apostles, and you're supposed to put all the money at their feet, and they didn't actually give them all the money. I mean, that's what was happening. So you joined the early church, you sold everything, and you gave everything away. Well, the question is, what did they do with all of that? And why did I have to give all of it away? But this has, been, this has gone on forever and ever, 
Every civilization does the same thing. So why is it so different? Well, the culture here is intriguing because, like I said, I like to try to find something new. Now, you did hear something new about the narrative, but something we haven't talked about yet. And this is the group called the Essenes. Do you remember those from Bible study? I'll review them for you. Everybody knows the Pharisees. Yeah, everyone knows the Sadducees. And you probably know the Zealots, because they're kind of... Well, there's another group called the Essenes. And about 200 years before Jesus, this group of Jews said, we don't like what you're doing, Jerusalem, in the temple. Oh, let me guess, corrupt leadership. And they went off to a place called Humran, which is on the Dead Sea. It's up in the caves. You probably heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's the Essenes who wrote all this. What's interesting is their Bible interpretation they call Pesher. And what that meant was they believed every verse of the first five books, the Torah and all the prophets, were about the, the apocalypse, the end of time, all of it. But they took it one step further and they said, not only is it about the end of time, every verse applied to their present status. Well, that's pretty interesting. Here's a good example of how that's not the way things work. If you look in the book of Habakkuk, which I'm sure you've all read, it's three very short chapters, very simple. I'll give you a review because you probably don't remember. Chapter one, Habakkuk comes to God in the temple and says, these people are corrupt. Again, big surprise. He's talking about the leaders and the kings and the princes. And he's like, all of this is going on. And, and all of this paganism is in the temple. God, what are you going to do about it? Second chapter, God says, huh, I'll send the Chaldeans. It's actually the Babylonians. I'm going to use that word now. But if you read it, it'll say Chaldeans. And I'm going to send the Babylonians down and wipe you all out. That's chapter two. Then chapter three, Habakkuk says, but God, I'm not corrupt. How about all those righteous people? It's very interesting to read. So 200 years before Jesus, there was a group called the Greeks that had control, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies and all that going on. So they interpreted, for example, this section of Habakkuk and they said, oh, wait a minute. He's not talking about Chaldeans. He's talking about Greeks. So the end of time is going to be when the Greeks invade and destroy everything. And of course, they didn't destroy everything, but they did invade. But that didn't work. So here we are in Jesus' day. Now we have Romans. So you could just imagine their document. Oh, Babylonians, Chaldeans, we'll cross that out and put in Greeks. And then 100 years later, we cross it out and put in Romans. That's what people were thinking. That thinking was all over the place. And it actually is believed that Jesus spent time with the Essenes or spent time with the group that thought like them. Because a lot of his sayings are in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Whether this is part of it or not, I don't really know. But it's just interesting that every civilization thought this end time was coming. And here you have this group of Jews that are saying every word of the Torah and the prophets are about end time and about us. And you can just imagine this going on. Couple of things that you might find useful. Assign him a place with the hypocrites. Remember that was in the first one? Assign him a place with the hypocrites 
is a figure of speech that means, and I modernized it, fire him without pay. When you fired the man, now the master of the house, so you're the owner, I hire Pappy to be the master, he takes care of my finances. I don't like the way he's doing it, I'll fire him. But if I fire you and send you to the place with the hypocrites, that means no severance. You're out. Okay? That's all it really means. And you did not want to be fired without some money because how are you going to eat? And if I kicked you out of my house, where are you going to sleep? Probably that's the way you do it. The weeping and gnashing of teeth yeah, I was taught in the seminary, and when I went to church, the same as you, that's uh, the grinding of teeth and all this whole terrible thing. It actually means overwhelming regret. You're going to be sent to a place of overwhelming regret. What's overwhelming regret, you might ask? Thank you. It means being disconnected from God. That's what the Hebrew people feared the absolute most was disconnect from God. So if Jesus says, I'm sitting, you're going to a place of gnashing, whatever, you're going to be disconnected, meaning you're going to Sheol, but actually in his time, hell was, was being developed. You didn't want to go to hell. Remember, fire, brimstone, and all that evil crap of, sorry, stuff of hell was medieval. Christianity developed that. Jesus, there was no fire in hell. You, if you got sent and the word in Hebrew is gnonin. If you got sent there, you were disconnected. No more communication with God. That was the worst thing that could happen to you. And that's what weeping and gnashing of teeth means. So I told the people in early service, you could do this. If you're in your Bible, if you want to mark it, cross out gnashing of teeth and put in overwhelming regret. Oh, yeah. Write it really, really small. Unfortunately, the church has used this second coming to scare people. Did you guys watch the Luther movie when we were sending it around? I don't remember if you watched it. You saw it? Okay. It's on HBO. It's a 2006 one you want to watch. And, and Susan remembers it. Remember when uh, John, and I can't remember his name, shows up in the town and he's talking about buying your relatives out of purgatory and they have these like drops come down and there's people like crying in hell and whatnot. You know, the, the church would say, you gotta buy indulgences to get your relatives out of purgatory because you don't want them going to hell because that's a bad, bad place. So they were using all this imagery, basically, to scare people. Also about the second coming, because if Jesus shows up and the rapture takes place, you want to be where? In heaven. You don't want to be in hell or where they're gnashing the teeth. So you would buy these indulgences. And that was a big way in the 1500s, the church raised all the money for St. Paul's Cathedral. I'm sorry, St. Paul, St. Peter's Cathedral in that way. If you watch the movie, it, that makes perfect sense of what's going on. And it's kind of sad that that happens. Every civilization grows, is created, and they have a story of how they came about. They live, and then they die. But when your civilization dies, that's an end time to you, isn't it? So if you're a Roman citizen and you see the viscids 
in 425 CE coming through the gates and they're going to pr probably kill you because you're a Roman. That's the end time for you. That was the end of the Roman Empire. It's all over. And you know, people have talked about World War I was the war to end world wars, and World War II, and on and on, and we were gonna blow each other up. When we got to the 60s, we actually had the bombs that we could create everything, Revelation said. A couple of strategically placed nukes, and that's just the end it is. But it always is there, it's been throughout history, it'll continue, and if you listen to some of these preachers on the TVs, Oh, this is the end. I mean, this COVID, it's all going to happen. It's all going to be. And I was sitting there going, but you said that about swine flu 10 years ago, and we're still here. Oh, wait a minute. You said that about SARS 20 years ago, and we're still here. You said that about the Russians and the Cuban Missile, and we're all still here. The interesting thing about 24 and 25, when you look at it, is you got times where Jesus says, it's really soon. Remember, Paul said, oh, it's going to happen in my lifetime. No problem. Well, Matthew has Jesus saying, it's going to be like tomorrow or maybe the next day. And then you have spots where it's way out in the future because he says, I don't know when it's going to happen. But it's, it's way out there somewhere. And you have both. And if you look at the book of the Revelation, why that book was written the way it was is because 100 CE came around, 100 years, and Paul is gone, Peter gone, of course, Jesus is gone, the apostles are gone. Uh, Jesus didn't return like Paul said. He promised us Jesus really isn't here. So what do we do? We have a book written that says, when's Jesus going to return? Oh, maybe 2,000 years from now. It's an arbitrary number. It's just... That's a lot of years from now. Because how do you deal with people that were very much under oppression? In 90 CE, Hadrian became emperor and the persecution of Christians really, really began. It was bad. And of course, they're waiting for Jesus to return. But there's no Jesus returning. What are you going to do? Now, I have up there about Mexico, and I want to just tell you about this because this is intriguing to us. In January 2001, I had to do a three-week cross-cultural gig for the seminary, and we were in Agua Prieta, and my beautiful translator came with me, which was very helpful, one, because all the guys were jealous, but even more important, we had a Bible study one night at the church that was sponsoring us being there, and the ladies, my group, the two of us, they were talking about end times. I don't remember what passage, but that's not what's important. They were talking about Jesus' return. In Western Europe and in the United States, when Jesus returns, everything's going to explode. All of us, hopefully, faithful will be taken up to heaven. The rest of them go to hell and the whole bit. But that's not what these ladies said. These ladies worked in the factories. And they said, when Jesus returned, what's going to happen is the guys that are the managers and the owners, they're going to become the workers. And us workers that are being exploited by the management, we're going to become the managers and the owners. A totally different way of looking at it. In other words, the new heaven and the new earth type of look. Everything's going to be new because we're going to be the ones with the money and the running water and the toilets that work. And those rich people, they're not going to have it. See, that's their national team. 
totally different way of looking at it, which I found intriguing because they're all Catholic, well, pretty much all Catholic down there. We were in a Catholic church, and I know that's not Catholic doctrine, but as you move around the world, I think you'll, you would find that as the situation changes in these countries, that, that the Christians' ideas of end time and what's going to happen will change also. Because that's, that was an experience we had. It was kind of interesting. But looking at all of this so far through 24, what occurs to me is, why are we worrying about it? Stop worrying about the second coming if you're worried, because you don't know when it's going to happen. Be honest, you don't even know if it's going to happen. I know it's doctrine, so we'll say it's going to happen. When's it going to happen? Why is it going to happen? Don't know. Not yet, don't know. And if you think about it for a second, how many things do you worry about that you have absolutely no control over in your life? And how different could life be if you just let them go? And I know that's not easy to do because I have that problem too. It's like this COVID thing right now. You, know, you can't, it's, it's not going away quickly, but we know how to take care of ourselves. So why get all worried about it? Protect yourself, be safe, but I can't worry that I might touch something in the giant that's gonna give me COVID. There's a point where you gotta stop because at the beginning of this whole thing, they had us, the media had us scared. So six weeks, we didn't go out, like twice to the giant. I mean, we stockpiled the place and we went nowhere. We saw nobody. And we walk around the block and pretty much everybody's in their houses. And it's smart to be safe, but is it also prudent to stop living? And that's the interesting question. And it was Ben Carson, since I can mention him here today. It was Ben Carson who said that. You have to learn to live with this infection. It will eventually it will burn itself out because viruses over the course of time weaken. And now we heard about that. The weaker, there's a weaker strain now of COVID that isn't gonna make you sick. Well, guess what? There'll be another mutation and another. That's normal for viruses to, to mutate out. That's what happened to swine flu. They couldn't come up with a vaccine because by the, a year after the start, it was gone because it was so mutated at that point. It didn't make people sick. It didn't reproduce, it's gone. And more than likely the same thing's gonna happen in COVID. It's just gonna hang around maybe a little longer. But you can't get worried about it. I always wonder about that. How many things do I worry about that it's not under my control? And also when you think about this whole second coming thing, you're gonna meet Jesus one of two ways. Either he's showing up today or we're gonna meet him I believe it's at death when we make our way back to heaven. I don't know when that is. I don't want to be thinking about it because my life ends. I had a, a great uncle at 80 years old who believed that he went out of his apartment. He had a one-bedroom apartment with, with his wife in the Bronx. And he believed that if he walked out of that apartment, he was going to die. And for five years, he never came out. So the question is, was that living, was that already being dead? So be safe, be careful, be smart, but you can't change it. 
and live the best you can, live day by day, because you never know if you're gonna have another one tomorrow.